Well, let's see. It really had to do with uh, why, I guess that was the question I was trying to deal with, why we did this. And then that branched out in all directions about family and religious life and understanding and community. And uh, just a whole view of people and life and death today, you know. And then certainly the question of who is responsible for what's going on. Are we allowed to dump that and say that it's in the hands of GE or the hands of the State Department or the hands of the Pentagon? And then um, can you live a human life if you've, if you've abdicated that kind of... Um, what does a concern and compassion and sense of others that is that is simply being wiped out by this nuclear arms race? So um, I, I just wish, for, you know, for the sake of the jury and the sake of everybody, that all eight of us have been able to speak, but we weren't obviously weren't allowed to. At least we couldn't do it the way we wanted, and so we stopped the process. But. I think that was mainly it. We were trying to say that <clears throat> the very nature of this weaponry is so atrocious that it has to be kept secret, and that in the courtroom when it was obvious that those responsible for this stuff were brought in there um, to say what we had done, they wouldn't say what they had done. And they uh, shied away from any kind of connection, moral connection, responsibility, sense of what this stuff was, they wouldn't even name it. That whole atrocious effort to render this stuff neutral or harmless, um, to get it sort of tied into people's lives as something normal, um, and then walk away, you know, walk away and say, uh, you know, there's another ape behind me on my back and he's got another one behind him on his back and uh, the buck stops nowhere with these people. I walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me Every step I take recalls how much in love we used to be. Oh, how can I forget you when there is always something there to remind me? Always something there to remind me. I was born to love you, and I will make. You'll always be a part of me oh, 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 oh. When shadows fall I pass the small cafe Where we would dance at night And I can't help Recalling how it felt To kiss and hold your tight Oh, how can I Forget you When there is always Something there to Always be a part of me. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you should find you miss the sweet and tender love we used to share. Let's come back to the places where we used to go And I'll be there Oh, how can I forget you When there is always something there to remind me Always something there to remind me I was born to love you You'll always be a part of me. Oh, 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 oh. 
never love another, baby. I never will forget you, baby. Oh, you'll always be a part of me.
Getting in the shade of the Everglade wearing historical view of it all. We, we know that throughout history, any really significant social change has come about through jail experience and through real nonviolent resistance, you know. There's nothing else worth talking about. And all this talk about, you know, send letters to your congressman and all that, that's all dead as a dodo. It's been dead all the while. Even restricting all this to the history of our own country, we could point to everything from what to say, abolition to labor rights to women's rights to uh, mitigation of wars, especially Vietnam. And none of it happened without people being in jail. None of it happened. We would still be a colony unless there had been this kind of stuff. We would still be a slave society. We'd still be legally and officially tightly sexist. Not that we're not, but it would be worse. Unless people had said, you know, lock me up. This is where I stand. And really, it seems to me the nuclear question has sharpened it all to the point where unless there is an awakening, you know, it's all going to come down. <laughs>
That's, I think, has been grabbed here and there, and, and certainly that's the way it was intended, you know. It could be taken from many, many points of view, but those symbols of blood and hammers were very deliberately chosen, and uh, they're primordial uh, symbols of life, symbols of building, symbols of building the earth, uh, symbols of pro-human property, the hammers, certainly. But a hammer is also... Uh, prophetic tool of pulling things down don't belong there you know and that's right out of Isaiah too that things that shouldn't be around ought to be pulled down and before really you can build a human earth you have to pull down what's inhuman so that was all part of it and then of course the blood is just about as old as the earth as old as a human being um, on the earth and um, I guess almost from the beginning, people have shed the blood of others. We have the very ancient story of Cain and Abel. But then we have the story of Jesus, too, and we have a very clear choice in another direction, the giving of blood rather than the shedding of blood. And uh, as Sister Anne Montgomery pointed out on the stand, you know, the whole thing was just carefully, carefully thought through in the sense that we didn't go in there on a rampage. We went in there hoping, symbolically, to touch two or three of those uh, instruments of genocide and to throw blood around. And even if we hadn't reached the warheads, we would have thrown the blood around. We, we were going to say, if we couldn't get beyond the lobby, we would stand there in a circle and pray and throw our blood around and lay the hammers down on the floor. But it was such an extraordinary providence that we got to those warheads. Uh, we never expected to. The other night I took a ride with little old Lucy Brown. We went to all the honky-tonks. We really got around. She's five foot two with eyes of blue and pretty as a queen. I didn't know her pop was a city cop, and she was just 15. Good morning, Judge. Why do you look so mean, sir? And Mr. Judge, what can the charges be? If there's been trouble, I will plead not guilty. It must be someone else. You know it can't be me. tax return thought I'd save some dough I cheated just a little bit I knew they'd never know I got some money back this year like I always do they'll have to catch me before I pay internal revenue good morning judge why do you look so mean sir and mr. judge what can the charges be I will plead not guilty It must be someone else You know it can't be me My wife and I, we separated just the other day, the last thing that she said to me was, brother, you will pay. She said I'd pay her every week. I'd better never fail. I said before I send you a dime, I'll die right here in jail. Good morning, judge. 
Why do you look so mean, sir? And Mr. Judge, what can the charges be? If there's been trouble, I will plead not guilty. It must be someone else. You know it can't be me.
experience uh, rather than the necessity of changing external structures mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about well it seems to me that you know from our point of view let's say that plowshares eight there there never never could have been these events in our lives without a spiritual discipline you know and that's been going on for many many years with all of us um, is that what provides the strength Sure, and, you know, that continuity we spoke of earlier, and really a kind of a sane view of people, and and also, I think, the ability to seize on an occasion like this trial and make the most of it, you know, because we came up to this trial very much alone. We had to rely on ourselves. And even our best friends were not always in agreement with our methods right up to this week, right up to today. <laughs> and... Uh, this is not to say that we're right, it's just to say that we have to be ourselves. And in order to do that, you really have to come from somewhere. It seems to me that you take an incredibly creative action within the restrictions of this court. Yeah. 
on it, that seems quite mind-blowing to everyone concerned, both the people who support you, I think, and the, and the people over there. It, where does that creativity come from? I think it comes from prayer and from reflection, from reading. It comes from long, long hours of discussion with one another. It really comes from every kind of spiritual weight that you can bring to bear on a bad time, you know? And, uh... La, 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 ah, oh, yes, to me. You know I would cry for you. You know I would die for you. You mean everything.
Maybe there's some genuine connection here. I haven't even thought about it. I we really don't have many secular connections with our history, you know. I I think our admir our admiration for our history is is all with the underground and the underdog and those that have really made made something great here, you know, which has been the slaves and the abolitionists and the immigrants and the uh, pioneer women and. Uh, all the people that were writing the secret history that had nothing to do with tycoons and judges and 
you know, all this bullshit that's claiming history and is really, you know, going to bring it all down if they have their way. They don't even want to save themselves now. That's how crazy they are. But I mean, we, I think we have a, a vivid sense of what I would call the true history of our country, which is very close to biblical history, you know? It's a very old idea in the Bible that the, uh, the remnant and the slave and the outcast carry the real burden, can carry it along, you know, carry it on. And that's the way God writes history. That's the way uh, Jesus talked about it. He certainly never connected his own conscience when he talked about his history. Jesus never talked about kings, books of kings, all that stuff, battles, winning. He talked about Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, the remnant and the exiles and uh, those that were stuck in Babylon and those that were slaves in Egypt. And that's the way he looked on the world. And that's the way he carried on, I think.